Perfect. It's perfect. Okay. So these are these. I made new copies of those handouts. Plus, there's one new one. And today, because we sort of ended in the middle of a conversation about Hanukkah, and really we were continuing a conversation about Baruch Gozer Umekayim, that Hashem decrees and sustains. So the normal meaning of Hashem decrees and sustains is that Hashem makes a decree and he keeps the decree. Whatever it is he decrees, that's what he does. So that is a promise, of course, of good things, but the word gezerah suggests <laughs> harsh decrees. And Hashem, okay, but, but we've also said that there's another side of it, which is gozer umekayim, that he decrees and he sustains us within the decree to survive the decree. And that was that idea of the, the meaning of punishment, which was the first part of last week's shear, that the purpose of punishment in Torah is never to get back at somebody. The purpose of punishment is to educate, to help a person realize they're off track. They're, oh, okay, so this, this is just a duplicate thank of that you. one. No, I just no problem. Oh, and this one is... And this is a new one. Okay, thank okay. you. Okay, so this is the, the concept that it's always for tikkun. Is I think the way Isla Blazer put it, I think he's maybe quoting the Grah. It's always a tikkun. Okay. So then we started talking about this concept of... Gosh, I feel so bad to do this to you because you what? just explained yeah. it. Gozer no Can you just repeat Gozer what it Gozer means he makes a decree. He makes decrees. Let me say that again. He decrees. Okay. <laughs> Hashem decrees umekayim and fulfills. He makes it last. He makes it be. <coughs> okay. We talked about this idea that the Shla said of Yitzchak ben Avraham. Yitzchak, who's Gevura, is the son of Avraham, who's the epitome of Chesed. That Yitzchak, the son of Avraham, is the concept of Gevura, the child of Chesed. What does it mean, the child of Chesed? It means what gave birth to the gvura, to the power, to the strength, to the gezera, chesed. The shla consistently will tell you how you have to understand Hashem's din and judgment as a function of chesed. It is given birth to by chesed. So even though for us it appears to be and feels and was experienced as very harsh, we have to know that behind it, the source of that all is chesed. Olam chesed, Yibana, the world is built on chesed. Okay, so this idea of serving Hashem, of praising Hashem, right? We, we had this question, like how would you praise Hashem for Gozer Umekayim, even if you have to cope with it? But here we're praising Hashem. Now, we said that that's consistent with the whole concept of, of Psuke de Zimra as a whole, right? Psuke de Zimra is about this level of Yira, this level of Gezera, this level of forces that are way more powerful than we are but still seemed like a funny thing to be praising for. So how would we relate to that? And for that, I connected it to a question that happened with Hanukkah. That we said that when, they, the, when the Syrians first made, the Syrian Greeks first made these decrees that said, you can't keep Rosh Chodesh, you can't give children bris milah, you can't teach Torah, right? They had all kinds of bizarre decrees, right? Carve on the horn of an ox. Okay, horn of an ox is used as a baby bottle carve on the baby bottles. You have to use baby bottles that are pre-printed that say we have no share in the God of Israel. 
In other words, that's what the baby should be suckling from the time they're, they're infants. They should be seeing those words. Um, they made 13 breaches in the, in the fence. There was a low fence that separated the part of the base of Mikdash where non-Jews were allowed to come to and the part where they're not allowed to continue past. They said you couldn't have doors on your houses, so there's no privacy. Okay, so sort of the sanctity of the Jewish home. They had these, all these different laws. So what did the people do who were righteous, who said, that's it, we're not going to just go along with these laws. We have to live a Torah life. They ran into the mountains and the hills, and they hid in caves. And that's where you get the bits about the dreidel, right? The stories about the dreidel, and the, they would hide, and they would spin the dreidels, and they would come looking, and they'd claim, no, we're just out here playing. You know, why the kids are playing dreidels out in the middle of the mountains, I'm not exactly sure, but... That's right, and they would smoke them out sometimes. They would know that there's Jews inside of the caves. They would light fires in the front of the cave, and the smoke would go in, and they would die from smoke inhalation. Okay, so after three years of this, the Hashmonaim basically asked a question. They said, are we allowed to take this line down, right? It seems that it was Yehudis even who triggered it. I heard once a very, very, very beautiful Dvar Torah from Rabbi Orlovsky. David oh, Orlovsky, really? yeah, he, 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 he brought it, I think, on Hanukkah, in particular, which is why are women chayev in menorah? And we have a special, even for half an hour after, right? There's sort of a little mini yuntif for women not to do extra malacha in that half hour after. Yeah. Why do women? And the principle is afhein hayu be'oso hanes. They were also part of the miracle. So he says, what does that mean? You have certain mitzvahs like that, where really women should not be chayev because generally speaking, women are not chayev in a mitzvah that's time bound. So lighting menorah is a time-bound mitzvah. Drinking four cups of wine at the Seder is a time-bound mitzvah, the mitzvahs of the Seder. Um, what's another example of it? Hearing the Megillah on Purim, time-bound, okay? And always, the reasoning is, they were also part of the miracle. So it's kind of a funny answer, because like, is there some mitzvah or holiday that relates to a miracle that women weren't part of? Like, do we have like a right. male-only miracle? <laughs> like, we don't have like men-only miracles. It's not like only men got the Torah at Harsina. It's not like only men sat in sukkahs, you know. So what is, what is the reasoning of Afhein Hayu Be'el And he explained it by saying what it means is the women were necessary catalysts of the miracle. Mm. Not just that they were recipients of the miracle, they caused the miracle. So the idea that Metzias Mitzrayim, right, that in the merit of the righteous women, we left Egypt. And on Purim, it's clear, you have Esther, okay? And on Hanukkah, you have Yehudis. Yehudis who said, how can you just stand there and let them come and take every woman before she gets married off to the, off to the troops for the night? Okay, so the answer was, well, because you're, if, you're, if you are totally passive, and everything is done by force, then you don't have to die for it. And she finally stood up and said, you know, if you don't, then, like, there's an end to everything. Like, it's not a temporary one-off. This is something that's going on and on and on. And they had the same question with living up in the mountains. So some will die, but some will live, and you hide as long as you can. And finally, they said to each other, like, but what does this look like in the world as a whole? If someone comes and makes decrees against the Jewish people, then yeah, like it could be if we would ask a Shiloh, we're told, what should I do? You should hide, wait for it to blow over. Eventually, it will go away. 
but how can we, like, what is life worth if the message that comes out of this for everybody is the Jews will just roll over and play dead? That you can interfere with their connection with God and they don't care that much. Because most of the Jews out there were visibly either going along with it, but even though they, resi- they re- re- resented it, or there were even misyavnim. There were Jewish people who were themselves becoming part of Greek culture. They were assimilating. That was our main enemy, were the assimilated Jews. So that's going to be this, like what everyone everywhere. sees. It's like that very often. And I mean, it's like not a the new... Spanish Inquisition, you either hid or you... Yeah. Well, that, that situation or... was actually very unusual. The Spanish, I, I would say that's different. Yeah. The Spanish Inquisition, if you look at some of the writings of people, the great rabbis of that time, because mm-hmm. like, we could never go back and judge you know, how people reacted to something. Spanish Inquisition is ati- very atypical, because one of the only times in history that you see Jews going along with being forced into a conversion. Meaning, historically, Jews will resist conversion. Assimilation, not so much. right? But conversion, they'll resist it even if they have to die for it. What happened in Spain was very unusual because most of the Jews left. But there was this huge number who just like couldn't, this is temporary, right? Like how, I mean, you know, you get, you get your country's leader and you're like, okay, this can't possibly go on. This will for sure blow over. Like nobody, this is a civilized country. It can't go on like this. Someone's gonna stop it, okay? We've seen that not so long ago. It's just people who feel this way now. Like, and this is what people felt like 500 years ago. Hmm. So the fact that people... And you look at the rabbis of the times, and a lot of that, unfortunately, they attribute to the fact that they lived in a wealthy society. Mm-hmm. And when you live in a wealthy society, hard it's to really it. hard to deny yourself... to put yourself into a physically challenging situation for the sake of religion. It's that much harder because you're used to a life of luxury and indulgence and you have no training for delaying gratification in one area for the sake of a higher principle, which is a pretty scary educational thought, as a matter of fact. Hashmonaim, however, did not live in as wealthy a society and they ran off to the hills. They said, like, you know, we got to go. All right. So they wanted to know was, are they permitted to fight back publicly? This helps us understand why there's so much of the, of the celebration of Hanukkah is persumenisa, the publicizing of the miracle. Why is that so important? Because how did we get into that miracle of the candles and how did we get into the miracle of the war was it was about publicizing God's greatness. It was about saying what we want is to hit the front page of the Greek times, right? So that it says Jews rebelling against the rules. The Jews are taking up arms. And they figured that it's going to be one, one time. They're going to rush in. They're going to fight. They'll be wiped out. But at least maybe somebody will hear about it. And they want to know, is it permitted? Good question. I was just curious if Yehudas was, Yehudas was only, only spoke up for the women that were being raped, not, not to leave the I don't know exactly where she falls in this time because that story of Yehudas happens in the city. Mm-hmm. So she's not she hiding in the hills. Not, she, right. Okay, because you set the stories together. I don't know. Yeah, so I don't know exactly how that mm-hmm. chronology what goes. What did she do exactly? Like, she was 
Well, I according mean, to one account, she unbuttoned her shirt under the chuppah. Under mm-hmm. her own chuppah? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Seems like. She took her shirt off. Like on Ben Pellis, but even more dramatic. Right? Just and and everyone's like, statement. um, excuse me. Her statement was, this is what you think of us. Oh. Right, because they were allowed to rape Right, like, what you, how could you be so unsneeze? Hello? Like, any minute now, they're going to come and take me away to be raped, and you're not going to stop them. Right. So what, do you, what are you saying about the Kedusha of Abbas Yisrael exactly? Mm-hmm. So it got their attention. And that, what, that started... The rebellion. I mean, she was either the sister or the aunt of Matisio, right? The Kohen Gadol. Mm. It's, oh. it's not told very often. So she's either the sister or the aunt of Matisio. Matisio is the Kohen Gadol that we mention when we say the, the Al-Hanisim on Hanukkah. It says, in the days of Matisio, Ben Yochanan, Kohen Gadol, and his five sons. And they led this rebellion. They took up arms. They said, Mi kamocha ba'elim Hashem, which when you spell that out is makabi, like in an acronym. Then everyone follow me. And they started to make a rebellion. And they collected people as a very small group. And they were, you know, you're talking about the Kohen Gadol. <coughs> so this is not somebody who's really well trained in, like, fighting. Not only are they not well trained in fighting, and not only is a Kohen normally stay away from anything where you might get near a dead person, okay? But... It was the opposite, meaning anyone who was against Greek culture. Because what did the Greeks do? They did things like they set up a gymnasium just at the foot of the town, not even on foot, on the slope, the southern slope of the Temple Mount. They set up a whole place to do wrestling matches, right? Like the like Greeks, like Olympics, you know, right? Naked, they would just do these sports. And it says some, there were Kohanim who would even like sort of drop the avoda they were doing so they could run down and watch the the sporting matches okay so if you were physically fit that's more of a sign of being Greek than it is a sign of being a Jew in that time so they didn't think they would survive when they went out to fight this war what they thought was they're going to say and they're going to run down the hill and they're going to wave their swords and yell and they're going to be wiped out you know, there's like a garrison, 10,000 Greek soldiers down there, and they're going to be wiped out. And then they turn around, and the soldiers are gone, and they're still there. <laughs> Robert Lofsky is like, so you can imagine, now they can't talk because they made a bracha, and they're not dead. So they're going, no, no, You know, like when you wash your hands, you make a bracha, and now you're like, you're not supposed to talk because you, you didn't eat the challah yet, you know? So like, what do we do now? <laughs> you know, okay, well, try again. Let's go find some more soldiers, and they try again. And after this happens a couple times, all of a sudden they realize, my gosh, we're still here. <laughs> this may be a whole different, like, now what do we do? We might need a strategy. You know, you might have to start actually, like, making a plan. We didn't have a plan. Our only plan was to get noticed so that people will know that we stand up and fight for the sake of our relationship with Hashem and the Torah. Okay. So when they asked this question, and this is where we were last time, which is... And you heard this more of a story also. I mean, I'm sure there is more of a story. But that was, okay, that was just on the principle of Asheim Hayuba Sohanes was this idea that when we say that women were in the miracle, it doesn't mean they were also included in the miracle. Because there aren't any miracles that come to the top of my mind that included the men and Jewish people and not the women and the Jewish people. Okay, what it means is that the women were instigators. They caused the miracle. And therefore, they wouldn't be putter from the expression of thanks for the miracle. So that's, okay. So this is number hey, which is the Medrash on Shira Shiram Rabbah. The Medrash on Shira Shiram Rabbah talks about how, what answer the Hashmonaim got. 
when they said, are we, why, are we permitted to do this? Okay. This is where we were in the middle of last time. So the Medrash on Shir Shir Rabbah, it's, it's source number Hey on this source sheet. Okay. I changed the title on the new source sheet, but I didn't change the numbers, so the source sheet's the same. Okay, so the Medrash says, how was it, when, when the Hashmonaim asked the question of what they're allowed to do, are they allowed to sacrifice their lives, al-Kiddush Hashem, are they permitted to do that, if it's not a Yaharik V'al-Yavor situation, they were told, we have a precedent, and the precedent is the question that was asked 400 years ago, less, 250 years ago probably, before the time of Mordechai and Esther. I mean, Mordechai and Esther were alive, but before the story of Ahasuerus, which the Medrash asks like this, why did the Jewish people in the days of Haman have their lives thrown into danger? Was it because they did Avodah Zarah? And the Avodah Zarah would have been bowing down bowing down to the statue that was erected by Nebuchadnezzar. The statue erected by Nebuchadnezzar, nobody thought was an idol. We just did a little recap plus some other things, and now we're back into our medrash from last week. Oh, right. This is okay. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was not an idol, but they were supposed mm-hmm. to bow down to it as a way of acknowledging that the entire Babylonian Empire was united under Nebuchadnezzar. All these different countries and all these different all these different religions, but everyone's going to add this one into their religion. Okay, Aldas Rabbi Shimon Lo Avdi Yisrael Avodas Kochavin. This is just the beginning of the third line. They did not do Avodas Zarah. How did that come out? Nebuchadnezzar set up a statue, and he called out from every single nation three by three, including three from the Jewish people, and they were Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah. They were three people of the Jews who stood up and they they resisted, like they, they said, no way. They refused to do Avodah Zara. So how did this come to pass? They went Eitzel Daniel. They went to Daniel, who was, who was the Gadol Hador, and they said to him, Rabbeinu Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar hamid selem, v'hifrish mikol uma v'uma shlosha u'shlosha, v'lanu hifrish mikol Yisrael. Ma'ata omer lanu, nizkod le'olo. They said, Rabbeinu Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has set up a statue and he has chosen three people to represent each, each of the nations. And he chose us to represent the Jewish people. What do you say? Should we serve it or not? Do we bow down or not? Amar Laham, he said, There's a Navi, go ask him. Now, I, I have to tell you, if you read this, think about it for a minute. You have a life and death question. So you go to a Rav, which, by the way, it would normally be the right thing to do, not, not to go to a Navi, even if you have a Navi. Because it's actually a halacha question. And he said, I think the thing we're going to hopefully get to on the Pachar Yitzchak would explain why in this situation they need to talk to a Navi and not to a Posig. But you can work that out for yourself after, mm-hmm. okay? Imagine you go and ask. It's a very sensitive, emotional, difficult question. Your life is on the line. And the rabbi says, go ask someone else. So it could be you feel good. Like he takes it so seriously, right, that he's saying you should, we should push this up the ladder, right? Like let's take this up higher. But you could also feel very, very rejected. 
go kind of either way, right? Like, you're not going to help me. <laughs> you're not going to help me work this out. So just hold that there, because when you see what happens, it kind of leads you in that direction. So, They immediately went to Yechezkel, Amrulo, Kamosha Amrulo Daniel, and they said to him the same thing they told Daniel, which boiled down to, do we serve it or not? And he answered them, I have a Mesora from Rabbi Yeshaya, the prophet. Hide for a while until the anger passes, which is what the Hashmonaim had originally done, right? I mean, we're going to originally do. Amrule, they said, Wait a minute. You're saying that everyone will then say, all the nations bow down to this statue. Amarlan. So he said to them, now this is, I, I'm telling you, you're going you're gonna to fit the pieces together yourself. He said to them, okay, notice he didn't give them a psak either. He says, I have a mesora as to how you behave in this situation. And they kind of had trouble accepting that. And instead of saying, okay, but that's the halacha, he said, what do you say? This is a very, very, very interesting exchange. So what do you say? Amrule, they said to him, Anabaina Nasan Bey Pagam. He says, we, they said, we think we need to cause an imperfection. In other words, it should not be unanimous bowing down to this idol. We shouldn't bow down to it. So that people would say, Hadin Salma, this statue, Kolumaya Sagidle. Representatives of every nation bow down to it, Levar Israel, except the Jewish people. You know, if everyone else bows down and the Jewish people don't, that stands out even more than if some do and some don't. No, they do want that said. Yeah, they're saying it seems to us that the real problem here is not a question of what's the halacha for Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah. It's not a question of what is my personal halacha. I'm supposed to bow down to this idol. Everyone knows it's not an idol. If I do it, everyone will know it was under duress. Nobody's going to think it means anything. It won't stand out, right? So it's not actually a Harik Valyavor. We could run for it. They'll never find us. And Hanani Mishal Nazaria said, I don't think our question is about what's the halacha for us. I think our question is, what's, what's going to be said about Hashem? And what's going to be said is either everyone bows down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol, or, and, and if we run for it, then either there will be nobody from the Jewish people, so they'll just say everyone bowed down, or, more likely, they'll find three other people who are a little more pliable, who will bow down. But if we go and show up on our date in court and bow down and, and refuse to bow down, then maybe they'll kill us. It could be. But, but even if they do, the outcome will be that everyone will say that all nations bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar except the Jews. If they're not going to say except Hanani, Michelle, and Azariah. We re- we're going to represent everybody because we've been chosen as the representatives. So this will mean that the Jews didn't bow down. So their question is not what, 
What should, what does the halacha say they should do? Their question is, can we find a heter in halacha to throw our lives away, al Kiddush Hashem, when it's not a yaharig v'ayavor? Are you permitted? They say, it seems to us that that's what, what the real question is over here and we should do it. So then why are they coming to Yechezkel? They're coming to Yechezkel because they want to know, is it okay? They don't want to do what's something against God's will. So the question really is, are they permitted to die? Are they permitted? Right. And this is why this is the case that is referred to when the Hashmonaim said the same question. Are we permitted to throw our lives away so that it shouldn't be said that the Jews don't stand up for the sake of Torah and Mitzvah and Hashem? Okay. Amar Lohem, so Yechezkel said, Im If that is in fact what you're thinking, then wait while I ask God. I came in at the most That's okay. No, this is, yeah, you did. Okay. So now oh. I'm just going to see do I have the passage from Yechezkel? I must have it. Okay. So now switch to number Vav. And then we're going to come back. Okay. Here's the little, here's a piece, the introduction to a chapter in Yechezkel. It was in the seventh year, on the 15th of the month. Men came from the elders of Israel to seek God. Lidros es Hashem, it's like what it says about Rivka, that the babies were pushing around in her stomach and she went Lidros es Hashem. To find out, what does God say about this? And they sat before me. Okay, so when he says, hang on, I'll ask God, this is what he was asking them. And this was what God said to me. I'm sorry, it's, it's hard to read it. Ben Adam. Okay, that's Hashem often calls Yechezkel, Ben Adam. Man. Daber Zikne Yisrael. Talk to these Zikne Yisrael. They weren't actually so old, but they were wise. <laughs> Talk to these Zikne Yisrael. And say to them, this is what Hashem says to you. You're coming to ask me anything? What kind of chutzpah do you have? I swear, if I will give you any answer, so says God. Seriously? Like, just judge them. Judge them. Remind them of the disgusting things their forefathers did to me. What business do you have coming and asking me anything? That's what Hashem answers them? That's what Hashem answered. Okay. I'm sorry. Let's, this is like really a rough one. Okay. Because this is what they came to ask. And Hashem said, who do you think you are? You sons of idol worshippers. I took you, the past is long parak. I took you out of Egypt. I saved your lives. I built you into a nation. I gave you beautiful land. And you turn around and you worship idols. So now you're in Gullus and now you're complaining. Why do you think you're in Gullus? You're in Gullus because you, you, you went and worshiped idols. So now you're going to be so holy, you're going to come out, I'm not even, I'm, I'm not talking to you. I can't even think what would be a worse thing to happen to somebody. <laughs> right? Throwing their lives away, Al Kiddush Hashem, is nothing. Then you feel righteous. <laughs> Go ask God a question. He says he refuses to speak to you. That's pretty rough. Okay, so I'm coming back to the Medrash. Okay. Who were these people who came to speak to Yechezkel, Hanan, Yomishol, and Azariah? Amar Lifnei HaKadosh Baruch Yechezkel said to Hashem, Ribono Shololam, 
חנניה מישול ועזריה, מבקשים ליטי נפשם על קידוש השמחו. חנניה מישול ועזריה, seek to give their lives for the sake of the holiness of your name. מסקיימת עליהן עולו. I don't even know exactly how to translate this, by the way. You see the relationship between Baruch Gozer Umekayim. I'm just pointing this out, okay? It's the Lushan of, of Kiyum. Will you, will you make them last? I, I'm not sure. In the same way that you have Baruch Gozer Umekayim, Hashem fulfills what he is Gozer. So it's like, will you fulfill them or not? Like, will, either it could mean, will you save them? But I don't think that's what it means exactly. Could we like sustain? Sustain them. Right, but that would be like keeping them alive. Like maybe, will you save them from this difficult situation? But that would, it's difficult to translate the measures that way because that wasn't what they wanted to know. They weren't asking, if we do this, will God save us? They're saying, is it permitted for us to go even though we'll probably die? We could hide. The problem wasn't staying staying alive. The question is, are we allowed to do this even though we'll probably die? Right? So I think the miskayim maybe is, are you supportive of them? I think that's kind of how the kiyom is over here. Are you supportive of them? Or perhaps in the sense of gozer umakayim, Hashem makes a gzera and keeps it, fulfills it. Will you let them be successful, perhaps? Success in this case might mean death. But at least that they'll succeed in making their point and having the kedusha Hashem be proclaimed. That pub- public again, it's the same issue. It's the publicizing. Okay. Amar lo, Hashem answered Yechezkel, no way. I won't support them. I- <laughs> this is really, sorry, I get upset every time I read it. As it says, man, speak to the elders of Israel and tell them, are you coming? Are you coming to ask me anything? After you caused me to destroy my base Hamikdash, and to burn down my Hechal, and to send my own children out into Gullus, and now you want something from me? No way. By no means am I going to answer you. But also Shah, at that hour, Bacha Yechezkel, Yechezkel cried. The Konin, the Hilabatzma. He cried, he wailed, he lamented. It says in a different measure, he, he cried all night. Yechezkel cried all night. How's he supposed to, he's supposed to turn around and tell them this is what Hatzah? He says, hang on one second, let me ask Hashem. Now he's got to give this over? You know, you don't, you don't become a Navi for this, right? Yeah. The Amar, he said, Vai Lasone Yisrael. Woe to the enemies of Israel. In other words, if this is what happens to the ones he loves, think about the ones he doesn't. Yehuda. The last of the of Yehuda is destroyed. Apparently Khanani Mishal Nazariah were the last of the greatest of the tribe of Yehuda. They're the only ones left who are really Chachamim in Yehuda. This is the answer that's coming to them? He cried and cried. So they came back, they say, so what did God say? He said, apparently, he cut the message a little short. He's not supportive of you. 
They answered, Whether God is supportive of us or whether he is not supportive of us, nonetheless, we are going to give our lives for the sake of his holy name. That is an amazing answer. That's an amazing, amazing answer. Who's saying this? Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah. He said, God refuses to talk to you. He will not support you. And they said, regardless, that's what we're doing. We'll do it anyway. Okay. When they left from Yechezkel, Nigla HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem suddenly revealed himself to Yechezkel again. The Amar and said to him, Yechezkel, Mata Savur, what are you thinking? You, th- you think I'm not going to support them? Well, maybe. That's what you said. <laughs> really? You thought? Of course I'll support them. Of course I, I'm with them. As it says, Later in Yechezkel, Hashem says, I will give an answer to the Jewish people. Ella, however, Shavik Lahon Velo Semar Lahon, Mide, I don't know how to read Aramaic well, Mide Eshbok Lahon, Mahalchin Al Tumam. If they're going to go and they're going to say that they are going to give their lives Al Kiddush Hashem when they didn't have to, the only reason they're doing, meaning, let's say a person's in a Harig Yabar situation. So you're giving up your life because you have to, meaning you, uh, you understand the halacha is in fact compelling. But you also understand you're doing God's will. Right? Okay, you're doing God's will, and that's what matters. There's a longer, there's a longer view than right here. And that makes your life, it gives your life value. Okay, Refresh has this amazing line about a person dying al Kiddush Hashem that only Hashem can decide. You ha- when a, he puts it on Hanukkah. That if a person's going to be Moser Nefesh al Kiddush Hashem, leave it up to God to decide whether your life has more value if it ends now or continues. doesn't mean more value if it ends now because, like, it's worthless after. But maybe your death will have a greater value even than what you could build by living. It's possible. Okay? May, if, if this, so for someone for whom the goal is only Kiddush Hashem, not even the knowledge of knowing you're doing God's will, it's literally selfless absolutely, then it had to be complete. They had to do it 100% that way. As it says, one who goes completely, goes surely. Okay. They went. You know the story. They're thrown into a fiery furnace. A wind came and blew out the furnace, and they came out alive. It says that wind is also the wind that revived the dead, the dry bones that Yechezkel saw later. That was the B'nai Ephraim. We did that Pesach sign. Just like an interesting side point. Okay, so this is the answer to the Hashmonaim. Basically, nobody could say that the halacha is that you go, because the halacha is that if you can find a way to hide, you hide. But a person might be asking something different. They might be saying, am I permitted to give my life al-Kiddush Hashem? Is it allowed? And in that case, 
then nobody could come and tell them no or yes, really. It kind of has to come from them. It's almost like a kanai, right, you have with pinchas, right? If the person says, right, there's a, there's a lacha kanoim pogimbo, right? If, a, if there's a, a couple and they're, it's, it's like you have there with um, Cosby and Zimri, where Zimri was a Jewish prince and he's having a relationship with this non-Jewish woman, and they're like literally in the act, then a kanoi could kill him. But if the person asks a shaila, the answer is no, you can't. Because the halacha is you can't. The halacha is also that a person who's a kanoi, who has a certain type of motivation for the sake of Kiddush Hashem, if they do it, they're actually right. And yet, if they have the presence of mind to ask the question, then the answer is no. But didn't it's a little bit reminiscent to that. Yeah, I can't answer that part. Okay. <laughs> he asked Moshe, and Mo, by the way, Moshe didn't answer him. Right, I know. Okay, so it's difficult to say exactly. Okay. 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 Now, it, it, this might, it might, I can't be sure, but it might help us understand why Daniel wouldn't answer them. Because okay. it wasn't really about the halacha. It's about where it's kind of, okay. So now, this is a Pachad Yitzchak. It, it says Pachad Yitzchak. It doesn't say Hanukkah. So, I'm sorry about the check marks. This is a used copy of Pachad Yitzchak. Does everyone have it? The I person, the one, person right? before me used pen to check mark, I guess, what they learned. Yeah. Oh, you have it. Okay, um, so, so Hashem Kiryachal, he changed his mind it, when he it saw. It seems that he didn't change his mind. What he said uh, is, what I said before oh, was I only see. because that's what I had to tell them. And now that I see that you're going to do it anyway, he, I this he, he didn't tell them this like part. They're gone now. I mean, he was being. It sounds like a parent. A yeah. parent will say one thing in front of a kid, and then, but they don't. I think, right? But they. They don't necessarily mean it exactly as they say it, but they feel like they have to have a particular front. It's almost I, like you can't tell them front. yes or no. Daniel can't tell them yes or no. Yechezkel can't I tell them yes or no. And God himself example. will not tell them yes or no. Oh, he I says, darish lahem. It's interesting. He doesn't say no. He says, I won't answer you. Uh-huh. Yeah, but, but he, he was also sounding mad. Very, very harsh. Very harsh. How dare you? How dare you ask me this question? It's like, can I answer you? Or how dare you ask So I didn't just read the how dare you into it. Because remember, he says, after you made me burn my house down, send my children into Gullus, now you're asking me? Like, it's not just that I'm reading that right. in. No. Okay, that for sure is expressed. And by the way, that for sure is true. The truth is the Jews really did do a Vodazara in Israel and were evicted from the land because of it. So that side was shown to them. Chavim Mishal and Zarya never did a Vodazara. Like, there's no point directing right. it at them. And it probably wasn't their ancestors either. I, right? I thought that it was that But it was revealed to them through that anger in order that they would have no answer and feel the lack of support there. But the reason there's the lack of support seems to be because when a person is Moser Nefesh in this way, where it's not that the halacha says this is what you do, and in fact the halacha would tell you the opposite, go save yourself. It comes from themselves. It has to come from themselves, and it has to come 100% from themselves. If it isn't 100% from inside themselves, then just don't do it. Right, I thought that when Hashem saw that it was coming 100% mm. from himself, not that he changed his mind, he had a different answer. Like if it, back to the child, you know, you tell your child, no, you can't have something, and they say, you know, I, I'm going to find a way to get it, then you change. Okay, I'll support you and help you, mm. because you see the passion. I'm not sure it's contradictory, mm-hmm. meaning Hashem's Hashem not going to tell them. Hashem he's knows what he's going to do. 
No, but if he, if he's changing his mind, he's saying, I see your passion. I wanted to see if you had the passion. Even if I would say that he knows they're going to have a passion. It's like refusing a conversion. Like someone who wants to convert. You have to refuse them over and over and over to see. Even if they're, but it's not. Are they really committed? Right. So I just want to go back to how we got into this in the first place was when we talked about Avraham and we talked about the A-shell and we, right? And this idea of how the the passion and the intellect and the commitment have to come out in action. So Julie's bringing a good example, a person who wants to convert, and we tell them no, oh. right? And you said in order to see, do they really mean it? Now, the fact is, yeah, it's not really us, no, but it's not you know? us who needs to see it. Right. Let's point that out. With a gear, it's not us who needs it. to see it, and it's not even the gear who needs to see it. It's that, it's the gear has to become that. You, unless you actually do it, you don't become it. Mm-hmm. You understand? Over here, if Hashem will tell them one way or the other, it's not going to be 100%. It's just not. It doesn't, but they're still, ju- they, the passion was the same in them, right? But they went out into that situation where it's 100% coming from inside of them. Mm-hmm. They became something that was Lamala Min Hateva. Right? And in fact, they were saved. Hashem did save them. As Hashem is saying, I have to, the peace that I have to show them is the peace that allows them to become all the way what they're trying to become. Mm-hmm. Any other answer would not allow them to fully be what they're trying to be. So let's take a quick look here at the Pachad Yitzchak. I made some flags to help narrow it down a little. So starting at the end of the second line from the bottom. The brachos over the Torah that we say every morning. It opens with two prongs. That Hashem chose us from all nations. And gave us his Torah. He says, why two? Just say you gave us the Torah. And the gra says explicitly. I'm now on the top of the next page. These two things, it's because it's divided. It's two different ideas. In chronological order. The choosing us from all the nations. I'm a little confused about this. He, he, Rav Hutner knows much better than me. He's putting on the second of Sivan what's known as Yom HaMeyuchas, the day of Yichus, when we were told you are a, a nation, Am Segula, a chosen people. When Hashem said, Atem I had learned it as the third of Sivan with the giving of the Torah on the seventh. He's doing the second and the, and the sixth. For the purpose of this discussion, it doesn't change anything. The Hanesina, the giving of the Torah. Okay, so when we were told, you are a nation, a, a nation of Kohanim, a holy people, that's when we were standing around Har Sinai, but it wasn't the day of the giving of the Torah. Right Then there's three days of preparation for the Torah. Nesina, the giving of the Torah, it's four days later, at the time when God said, I am Hashem your God. So it comes out then, that the covenant of God and the Jewish people happened before the fact of the giving of the Torah. There's two parts to the giving of the Torah. There's the first part, which is God making a covenant and saying, I am choosing you, you're something different. Attempt to, right? Attempt to, that happened first. 
And only afterward happened, Nosan Lanu Estoroso, he gave us the Torah. It was a few days later. So this is referring to the part I skipped. The covenant, then, is not have a direct connection to God giving us the written words of the Torah, because that only happened later. Okay. So it means then that we're getting a Torah Shabbat Peh before we ever got a Torah Shabbat God is saying, I'm choosing you, you're something special, we'll have this covenant of Torah, but the written Torah itself only shows up afterward. <coughs> the oral Torah, there is a principle that in oral Torah it's not permitted to be written down. So the prohibition of writing down oral Torah predates all the other mitzvahs of the Torah and prohibitions of the Torah. It's not just that the principle of not writing down oral Torah is somehow distinct and separate from the rest of the written Torah, but it even predates the actual giving of the Torah, the Omek HaKavana Bazehu, and a deeper implication of this is, Ki Isr HaKsiva Shal Divrei Torah Shabbat Peh, Eino Isr Prati Bein Shari Suris Shal Torah, that the prohibition of writing down words of oral Torah is not a specific Isr amongst the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah, it is a commandment, it's a, it's a rule that has to do with the, the shaping of the covenant of the Jews and the Jewish people. There is something about oral Torah that forms itself the nature of the covenant and the relationship with God. And it is distinct from the written Torah itself. The, the written Torah is the implementation of the covenant, but the covenant has its own shape that is not given to being written down. The prohibition of writing down words of oral Torah forms a part of the covenant of Torah, far more than it has any connection with the written Torah or the mitzvahs that are written in the Torah. Okay, now I'm switching over to Dalit. I know that that was semi-incomplete because we're skipping a little bit, but... Okay. This distinction between the general covenant of Torah and the halachos that are written in the Torah themselves corresponds to the halachos of Mesiras Nefesh. There's two kinds of Mesiris Nefesh that the Gemara talks about. One is the three biggies, right? Idol worship, murder, and immoral relationships. A person should die rather than allow themselves to be forced into any of those. There's another kind of Mesiris Nefesh. It's called Gzeris Hashmad. In a time of Shmad, in a time when people are trying to destroy the nature of Judaism itself, then even a shoestring, you have to die rather than change. So if all the non-Jewish people wear red shoestrings, red shoelaces, and they say, we're making a decree that all Jews must wear red shoelaces, which is a badge of Avodah Zarah, then Jews have to die even then change their shoelaces. 
Okay, that's not one of the big three. It's because it's to undermine, right? If you're going to feed your baby from a bottle that says we have no share in the God of Israel, it's not the baby bottle that's the problem, right? It's the principle of why are they making this decree? The purpose of this decree is to separate the Jews from their covenant with God. The kind of Mesiris Nefesh that is demanded for even a shoelace is not being Moser Nefesh for the sake of the mitzvahs of the Torah. There's only three mitzvahs in the Torah that you have to die for. That it would be better to be dead than to violate. Shahari ha iser atzmo, because changing shoelaces, that iser itself, it doesn't become worse to wear red shoelaces just because of the kavana of some guy who's trying to force you into red shoelaces. They're still just red shoelaces. Ella, what's the, what's the point there of that Mesiris Nefesh? She Mesiris Nefesh, zo, that kind of Mesiris Nefesh, al klalius yichud Yisrael ba'amim. What it addresses is the principle of the unique Jewish character amongst all other nations. In other words, their covenant with God. You understand now what's happening with the Hashemunayim and what's happening with Hanani, Mishal, and Azariah, right? It's a different kind of Mesiris Nefesh. Shehi bris ha-Torah, that's the covenant of Torah. Be'ofen der Mesiris Nefesh al ha-mitzvos, it's a different kind of Mesiris Nefesh. At the time, if we are making a halachic decision about Averis and Isurim that are detailed in the Torah, then we have Shiorim and measurements. How much obligation do you have to endanger yourself for any particular mitzvah? But that is not the case when it comes to somebody who's threatening the bris Torah itself. That predates any specific mitzvos. For example, when the intention of the oppressor is to get people to abandon their religion, their commitment to religion, then all of a sudden, this kind of mesiris nefesh breaks all boundaries. There is no limit to it. Even if it doesn't touch, even if it's a shoelace or less, a person would rather die than be over on it. Okay? You can see why it has to come 100% inside of us. Because the whole point of it is our commitment to God and our relationship with him. Okay. So I, was, I wanted to do the next paragraph, but it's very, very late now. So I know people have to go. So I'm just going to read. I, I underlined a sentence lightly. You can see it. The Chiddush of the Mesiris Nefesh, of the generation of the Chashmonaim, is in this. Ki masru nafsham, they gave up their lives. In the end, they, I mean, they did, actually, in the long run, but not immediately as they thought. They gave up their lives. Lo al ratzon Hashem shenizgale bedinei hatorah, the Chashmonaim. Okay. Okay, but we, what we learned, what Rav Hutner didn't say here, but we learned that they learned it from Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Okay. Mm. They gave up their lives not for the sake of Ratzon Hashem that was revealed to them in the halachos of the Torah. Ki imal Ratzon Hashem yichad They gave up their lives for the will of God that's represented in the covenant with Him, the special relationship with Him. Dehainu al Bristor for Bristor. Okay, so we're going to stop there because it's late. Sorry for going over time, but it's worth waiting for. It's very intense. <laughs> Words, um, this takes me back to seminary. <laughs> Did you learn it in seminary? No, because it, it, I told you that.
in our deciding our seminary. So someone was just telling me her daughter decided to go to Mahala because she wanted to do things because it wasn't a rule. She right. wanted to do it because she wanted to do it, and she wanted to portray right. her commitment. It's interesting. That's exactly what it is. Um, how come when the women were raped, wasn't that? Yeah, so so the so a woman who yeah so a married yeah so if a woman is raped and the halacha is that yes it's yaharik v'yavor however a woman can be a totally passive victim of a rape in a way that a man cannot be right so if a woman either resists or at least screams out in protest but is otherwise completely passive then it is not in fact necessarily a yavor. And this is why the women even of that time had a question, right? We said last week that yeah. Yehudis started, the, one way of understanding this passage is that Yehudis started the question. She said, are the women permit, the women wanted to kill themselves or be killed rather than allow themselves to be raped? Now the halacha was, if you're totally passive, then keep on living. Like, the next day you'll be back and it's a terrible and traumatic and horrible experience and we'll get counselors in for you, but, but why should you die? So when she went to Antiochus, was with him and Well, she didn't go to Antiochus, head. but yeah. No? It's, so not, it's Heli Fornus, I think. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mixed it up. Yeah, but the Greek general guy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But she... So now she's volunteering herself, right? She is, but also for the sake. It's a very interesting so, thing. Right. So right. what are you allowed so, to do? What are you, I mean, this is, these are the kinds of questions people were asking. It tells you something about the, the time. Is, in the by end, the way, she was, they say that the same question was asked by Basiakov girls in the Holocaust. Are we permitted right. to... We, were going, we want to kill ourselves because they were being shipped out for the pleasure of German soldiers. But they did. Yeah, but how are you allowed to do that? You're allowed to kill yourself. No, but the Beis Yaakov girls yeah. did kill themselves. So apparently so, they were learning this okay. from these stories that came before them. Gosh, this so is something we cannot so, learn in halacha. By its ver- that's what we're that's what saying. By its nature, you cannot learn this. You cannot learn to behave this way from what is written and from what is in the halacha. This is why, by the way, I didn't read this part. This is why, although the story of Purim has a Megillah, and although the last, last, and that, that Megillah's Esther is the closing of the written Torah. Nothing else can be added, right? Mm-hmm. But you still have Hanukkah, and that gets established as a Chag later on. Right. But the written, there's no written addition to the Jewish canon. It's not to be written. Because the story of Hanukkah is the story of Torah Shabbat Peh. And it's the story, that light of Torah Shabbat Peh that is, you know, the closest thing to a, like where a flame is, the closest thing to a non-physicalized existence in this world. It's not about that which is written down. It's not about that which is embodied. Oh my it's gosh. exactly the opposite. It's exactly about that which cannot be told to you. It's sort of like um, the spirit of the law and the, and yeah, the letter of the law. That's right. So we don't generally violate the letter of the law for the sake of the spirit of the law. But there is this kind of mysterious nefesh that's why I said it's a little bit reminiscent of kanos almost, but it, I think it's different maybe in expression I, of kanos, like pinchas, right. like that kind of zealousy or whatever. But this idea that like it can't, literally can't be told to the point where when, when Yechezkel turns to God, he's like, well, I couldn't, I can't answer that. I'm not going to answer that. 
it can, if it's told, now it's a mitzvah. If you're doing it because of mitzvah, doing it because of mitzvah, by the way, we generally say that's better. Because there's a sort of resistance, right? Like you're telling me to do it, and where's my ability to give it freely, right? But in this case, it's exactly about the giving freely. Otherwise, it's not that. So what would be our side? If the covenant is Hashem has chosen us, so what would be our share in the covenant? It's us choosing Him. So how do you choose God wholeheartedly and fully? if you don't necessarily feel chosen. If you're not feeling chosen, and yet you're choosing him, not, there's no reward going along with that. You're just choosing him because you're choosing him. Like a convert. That's, that is, like, the, like that is the real convert. expression of the kind of duality, the dual-sidedness of the bris yeah. over there, of the covenant. It's a very, very remarkable thing. For someone to be able to do, I you know we one I once talked about this and not here, in a different share we were talking about serving Hashem, even when you feel abandoned. This is a little bit you you can understand it this way, mm-hmm. right? There could be such a thing as serving Hashem even when you feel abandoned. You know I'm not I can't speak for Hanani, Mishal, and Azariah, but certainly Yechezkel's reaction to Hashem's message to Hanani, Mishal, and Azariah was somebody who was hearing that you are abandoning them. Right? He's cried all night. So interesting. Yeah. What about the Jews of Masada? Is it also like... I don't know. All we know about them is what Josephus wrote about them. I don't know. And the, the death is not the problem. In this situation, it's not about whether they're dying or not. Right? Um, you understand? It's, death is not the end of everything. Here's this quote from Rafersh. Oh my gosh. Yes. Just found it. On Kiddush Hashem. You should show by your example and bear witness by your deeds that the true son and true daughter of Israel hold nothing higher than God in fulfillment of his divine will. And you shall, if it be necessary, willingly seal this testimony with your life, in that, if it must be, you offer it up in order to preserve your loyalty towards God and to inspire such loyalty in your brethren. You will achieve more than by your death than by your life. For you leave behind to the congregation of Israel an eternal example of faith, which will inspire your children and your children's children to a life of saintliness. But if you sacrifice yourself to the hallowing of the holy name, do not expect a miracle to save you. This is the message of in Yechezkel, right? Leave it in God's hands. He alone can judge which is more worthwhile, death in the present or the life that might still be left to you. And by the way, everything that Hanani, Mishal, and Azariah accomplished afterward, do we know anything about that? Esther. I was saying, like, Hashmarah may be a little more because you already have, like, history that continued on, but Lemaisa, what's the message? The message is only comes from someone who goes there not thinking about whether they're going to live or die. That's not the point. That's not the main thing. Right? That's, that's where the Kiddush Hashem comes from. That's the real Messiris Nefesh. After that, so whatever happens, happens. Can you give this example of like red shoelaces? And yeah, that's a specific halachic example. I didn't just like make that the up. Jews had to wear the, the yellow star. That was to, that's to connect them more to being Jewish, not less. Right, right. She's it's saying, not a Yahari Vayahu. She's saying red shoelaces. Was to deny your Judaism. It's to separate you from your religion. Wearing a yellow star... I'm not saying this is a good thing, but wearing a yellow star is to make people attached. They're, you're labeling them with their religion. You're not separating them from it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So there's no reason to resist it for the sake of Torah or Hashem. There might be a reason to resist it for the sake of saving yourself. Thank you. Thank you. So hopefully see you next week, even though we already talked about Hanukkah. <laughs> yeah, on a